Go with me, please, to 2 Kings chapter 22. We're going to read verses 8 through 11 from the Living Bible as we're standing in the presence of the Lord today. Let's read together. One day, Hilkiah the high priest went to Shaphan the secretary and exclaimed, I have discovered a scroll in the temple with God's laws written on it. He gave the scroll to Shaphan to read. When Shaphan reported to King Josiah about the progress of the repairs at the temple, he also mentioned the scroll found by Hilkiah. Then Shaphan read it to the king. When the king heard what was written in it, he tore his clothes in terror. Father, we stand in your presence in need today. We open our hearts because of our need today. Speak to us from your word, God. Work deeply inside of us, God. Thank you. We'll not be the same. We're already not the same having these moments in your presence. And we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, can we just celebrate one more time and just give him praise today for his amazing, amazing goodness. Take your seats, everybody. When you begin to read through the Old Testament list of kings. All the kings listed in the Old Testament, it's very rare to find one who obeyed God completely. It's very rare, actually, to find a king who obeyed God fully. Josiah was such a person. Josiah started his rule at eight years of age, and he reigned obediently over Judah for 31 years. Of course, the kingdom of Israel is divided at this point in history into two, Israel and Judah. And at the age of 26... Josiah, king of Judah, he began national reforms based on God's laws. This was to be the fourth era of reform in the land of Judah, and sadly, sadly, it would be the last. There's much we can learn from Josiah's life and from his example, namely, primarily, we learn from Josiah's life that while a person's major work for God may have to wait until he or she is an adult, no one is ever too young to take God seriously and to obey God. That's the primary le- lesson we learn from this man's life. 
this man who followed God fully, while a person's work, major work for God, you may have to wait until you're an adult. You're never too young to take God seriously and to live a life of obedience. Josiah's early years laid his or laid the base for his later task of bringing reformation to Judah. But this reformation began, it began with one work, effectuated first in the heart of the king, then in his leaders, and finally throughout the nation. And this work, this work that, came before Reformation, the work of revival. It was their greatest need. It was the greatest need of Judah. And I believe it's the greatest need for us today. So we continue with the series we began last Sunday, Discovering Keys to Revival. Discovering Keys to Revival. 2022 is the year, a year of discovery for us. There's much to discover this year, and I'm believing God that we're going to discover revival. We're going to discover great keys to revival. What is revival? Revival, it's an ongoing encounter of God's presence. It's an ongoing encounter of God's power. In the spiritual journey of, of each and every Christian and in the life of the church, it's an ongoing encounter of the presence and the power in our spiritual journey of every believer and in the life of our church. Revival is the renewal of the spiritual energies of the soul, and it propels us. Revival propels us to a new commitment to be with Jesus and to be with one another. This is revival. It's the renewing of the spiritual life and energies of the soul, preparing us, readying us, and then propelling us to a new commitment. <laughs> a new commitment to spend time in the presence of Jesus as well as one another. As we saw last week, revival leads us to a deeper love for God's Word and a deeper desire to study the Word of God. And not only study it, but live by it. Embracing it fully. Giving ourselves to it completely. That's revival. You just are hungry. You're not satisfied. That's revival. You're not interested in some superficial, shallow thing. You, you want to go deep in the things of God. Without a doubt, our homes need revival. Our churches need revival. This nation 
needs revival. Our world needs revival. But no military power can bring revival. No economic upturn brings revival. And no election can bring revival. Revival is the sovereign work of Almighty God. Why is there no revival? Let's, let's take a moment right here and just look at this. Why is there no revival? Now listen carefully. Listen carefully. It's not because of liberalism in the churches or disunity among God's people. There is no revival because we've been worldly and compromised. You've got to hear this. Why is there no revival? It is not because of liberalism in the church. It is not... Do we have liberalism in the church? Yes, we do. It is not disunity among God's people. That's not the reason there is no revival. It's not because we've been worldly and compromised. Even if we get all of these matters changed... It still would not be revival. These are not the reasons for no revival. These are the results of no revival. What is revival? Oh, I love what we sang earlier. Come, Jesus. What is revival? Revival is when God comes down. Revival is when God comes down. Listen to Isaiah chapter 63 and verse 19 from the complete Jewish Bible. Isaiah 63, 19. For so long, we have been like those you never ruled, like those who were not called by your name. We wish you would tear open heaven and come down so the mountains would shake at your presence. It would be like fire kindling the brush, and the fire then makes the water boil. Then your enemies would know your name. The nations would tremble before you. When you did tremendous things that we were not expecting, we wished that you would come down so that the mountains would shake at your presence. The presence that produces revival is God himself. Come, Jesus. Today, the second key to discover revival is contained in verse 11 of our text, 2 Kings twenty-two eleven. The latter portion of that scripture says, when the king heard what was written in it, he tore his clothes in terror. When the king heard what was written in it, he tore his clothes in terror. When Josiah heard the reading of the law, that law that was discovered, that Pentateuch, the five 
first five books of the Bible that was discovered while the temple is being repaired. They made discovery of the law and Hilkiah the priest gave it to Shaphan the secretary who went and read it to the king. And when King Josiah heard the reading of the law, when he heard what was written in it, he tore his clothes in terror. Upon hearing the reading of the law, Josiah was terrorized. One translation says he tore his clothes with grief. Why? Because upon hearing what was written in the law, he began to realize it. He made a discovery. He, he began to discover, he began to realize the state of wickedness and evil and corruption to which the nation had entered. Far from God. The nation was far. These are the people, Josiah from eight years of age, from that tender age. These, this is the people, these are the people that he's responsible to lead. And upon hearing that law, he comes to the realization that we are so far off course. We are so far away from God. And terror strikes his heart. He realizes the state of evil and corruption and wickedness, the condition of Judah is seen again a few verses later when God said through the prophetess Huldah in verse 17 of 2 Kings 22, God says, they have given me up, burning offerings to other gods and moving me to wrath by all the work of their hands. And herein lies the second key that we have to discover to revival, number two, we must rediscover human depravity. We must rediscover human depravity. One of the great discoveries, listen to me, church. One of the greatest discoveries we can make is to believe not only what the Bible says about our amazing God, but also to accept what it says about man's depraved, deluded, and vile condition. Now, I want your attention, please, for the next 15, 20 minutes. Please listen carefully. One of the greatest discoveries we can make is not only to believe what the Bible says about our incredible, amazing God, but also to discover and to accept what it says about man's depraved, deluded, and vile condition. This is why the king tore his robes. 
And this is why revival came to Judah. Because beginning at the highest office in the land, Josiah realized we have moved so far from God and the hearts of the people have entered into corruption and vileness. You see, the word depravity means morally bad, evil, wicked, perverted, corrupt, morally bad, evil, wicked, perverted, corrupt. To see revival, we must once again discover the true condition and the desperate need of mankind to encounter God's power. We must once again come before God and come to the realization, come to the reality that the true condition and the desperate need of mankind is to encounter God's power and presence. There's no other way. There's no other way. When evil rules in man, he is the most destructive force of all time. I want to repeat that. When evil rules in man, man is the most destructive force of all time. You give unregenerated man long enough, he'll destroy everything. How evil is man? How evil is man? Well, let's just take a moment, and I want to consider the 20th century. I'm going to just pull out the 20th century. The bloodiest century in the history of the world. Not just because there was a holocaust with six million Jews slaughtered in Germany, but also because there were millions more killed by Stalin across the Soviet Union. And then there was Mao Zedong and the millions killed under his regime in China. Look at Cambodia. Under the Cameroon's leader, Paul Pot, 20% of the population were wiped out from 1976 to 1979. How evil is man? There were 800,000 Tutsi slaughtered in Rwanda from 7th of April to the 15th of July, 1994. We're just looking at the 20th century. Think of the 40 million unborn babies killed in America since Roe versus Wade in 1973. And still there are people who say that human beings are basically good. And there are people who say that the real need of the hour is education. Excuse me. Facts reveal that the 20th century 
of all centuries had the most educated people. The computer that you sit behind today was the tw- a product of the 20th century. The phone that you are using today was a product. You're talking about advancements, what we would see as technical, technological advances, amazing advances made in the 20th It all happened in the 20th century. And so many people think that our real need is education. Listen. The most educated people were of the 20th century, and yet they slaughtered the most people. Uneducated people hold no corner on depravity, my friend. Truly, it's a a huge mystery. Paul calls it the mystery of iniquity in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 7. It's a mystery that throughout history until today, human beings can go on thinking that we're good. There is no righteous, not even one. But the fact is, all of humankind is in some way damaged. All of humankind is in some way scarred and broken to a far greater degree, a far greater extent than we often realize. We need revival. Our greatest need is not more education. Our greatest need is revival. Our greatest need is to turn our hearts back to God, for God to come down. Early in the history of the human family, there was a great fall. It is described in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 3, there we learn that from the moment Adam transgressed, he became mortal. The sentence of death was pronounced upon him and the seeds of depravity were sown in his system. And the effects of that transgression have been passed down from generation to generation. Each person from birth inherits Adam's sinful nature. The Bible presents man's sinful nature as fully comprehensive, ruining every aspect of human faculty. Now, I'm breaking this down because this is so important for us to understand. We just need to take some moments. You know, somehow we think we're okay. Somehow we think, you know, past generations, all that I just mentioned, you know, we could never do such a thing. We could never slaughter six million people. We, we could never, we, we've, we've come so far from that. Now we're just, we're, we're, of the, we're the woke generation. We're, we're, the, we're the people who, you know, we, uh, we're, it's lit now. We're, it's, it's, don't kid yourself. I'm going to try to wrap this thing up so tight here in the next few moments. We ain't, we, excuse the language, we ain't going to have any wiggle room. We need God. 
the effects of Adam's transgression have been passed down from generation to generation. And with each generation, the darkness increases. Each person from birth inherits Adam's sinful nature. And the Bible presents man's sinful nature as fully comprehensive, ruining every aspect of human faculty. Let me explain. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says, The heart, the heart. Let's just take a look at this human faculty. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Romans chapter 3 verses 13 through 18 depicts the mouth, the feet, and the eyes as debased. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deception. Their lips hide the venom of poisonous snakes. Their mouths are full of curses and bitter resentment. They run quickly to murder people. There is ruin and suffering wherever they go. They have not learned to live in peace. They are not terrified of God. Above all, the fallen mind. Now that has to do with the mouth. First we looked at the heart. This has to do with the mouth, the feet, and the eyes. Corrupt. Sinful nature of man will drive you and drive me to get involved in such things. Oh no, pastor, not me. My mouth would never curse. Oh, no, Pastor, uh -uh. uh-uh, uh-uh. Resentment, no. Bitter resentment, Uh uh-uh. I'm past all of that. Poisonous snakes? My lips hiding the venom of poisonous snakes? Surely you're talking about somebody else. I'm talking about human nature. Are you human? Yes, we are. We're talking about fallen, sinful human nature. Above all, the fallen mind of man is so corrupted. The mind. Romans 8, 7, for the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. As a result, there are tendencies in each one of us. Listen to me. Connect, lock with me right here. There are tendencies in each one of us to rebel. There are tendencies in each one of us to go the wrong way. The tensions in families, the strife between tribes, the strife between races, and the misunderstanding among nations. These are all a result of a corrupted nature in human beings. We don't have to teach a child to be selfish. In fact, a great deal of our time and effort as concerned parents goes toward trying to overcome this tendency from the child's early years. You don't have to teach a child to lie. You don't have to teach. I remember the first time One of my children lied. I was shocked. I'm a pastor. 
Yeah, right. And I mean, it was so convincing. It was a, I was like, wow, you're good. You're really good. You don't teach a child to be selfish. Most of our parenting years are fighting and working to doing everything we know to do to help this child overcome in those early years to bring this child out of their selfishness. But when a person believes the message of the gospel, oh, come on, somebody. When a person believes the message of the gospel, his sins are forgiven. He's given a new nature. He sets out on a spiritual journey with the Holy Spirit in his heart. Can you give God praise? Can you give God joy and thanks? Hallelujah. And that old nature, that old sinful nature, that old lips full of venom, <laughs> that old nature has been crucified, been put to death. But there's something I got to tell you right here. Oh, you got to listen and get this. The old nature, yes, it has been crucified. It has been put to death. But remember that death speaks of a separation, not of extinction. Now you get this, because this is going to help somebody in here today. You've been struggling. That, that lip venom has been, you've been struggling. Listen carefully. Putting to death speaks of a separation. Putting the old nature, crucifying the old man, crucifying the flesh, it speaks of a separation, not of extinction. You know why? Because, listen, when a person dies, he does not go out of existence. He's not extinct. When a person dies, he's not extinct. And in the same way, when the old nature is crucified, it does not go into extinction. It still exists. There's been a separation. Yes. That's why God told Adam, the day that you eat of this tree, you will die. Did Adam actually die when he ate the fruit and Eve ate the fruit? They did not die physically, but they died spiritually. They were separated from God. They were driven out of the garden. So the old nature has been put to death, been crucified, but it doesn't mean that it's no more, that it's extinct. It's, it's that we've been separated. However, that old nature still occasionally raises up its ugly head and it begins to cry out for control. And if we yield to it rather than to the Holy Spirit for help, I said if we yield to it, if we invite it back, if we reconnect, if we move Towards it, <laughs> rather than to the running to the Holy Spirit for help, we are easily prone to delusions that can so damage us. Romans chapter 7, verse 18 says, I know that nothing good lives in me. 
I know that nothing good lives in me. Nothing good lives in my corrupt nature. Although I have the desire to do what's right, I don't do it. You see, if we are inclined to think that we are strong, then we need to take special heed lest we fall. Romans chapter 3 verse 17, For you say, I have wealth and have got together goods and land. Come on, Kenyans, land. It's everything here. We will put our family down for land. Now listen. God has something to say about it. For you say, I have wealth, I have got together goods and land, and I have need of nothing, and you are not conscious of your sad and unhappy condition that you are poor. This is the church of Laodicea. This is Jesus speaking to the church of Laodicea. You think you've got it all together. You think you're better than past generations. You think you could never look, look, look. You say I have wealth and I've got together goods and lands and I have need of nothing and you are not conscious of your sad. You've not rediscovered. You've not, you're blinded. You're poor. You're miserable. You're naked. You're without clothing. Church, if we want to experience revival, if we want to have an encounter, if we want revival, we must come down off our high horse of pride and humble ourselves, rediscovering that we are but redeemed sinners saved by the grace of a merciful, a merciful God. To have revival, I've got to come down off of my high horse of pride and I humble myself in recognizing, in discovering, in rediscovering. That I have been saved. I have been redeemed by a merciful God. We must rediscover that the Christian life is a warfare that will not end until we are safe in the arms of Jesus. upon hearing these words that were written in the law. Josiah tore. One translation says he violently tore. He violently tore. Oh God, would you not tear open heaven and come down? When it came to that point of 
Josiah discovering, rediscovering how far, how far the people had moved away from God. History tells us that they had not, they had not consulted the law, the written law of God for many, many, many long years. Each man did that which was right in his own sight. How badly do we want revival? May our hearts be rent open. May God by the Holy Spirit open us up and look on the inside of us and remove. And May we ask God, let this revival start in me, oh God. Let the Holy Spirit by the searchlight of the word, search the deepest recesses of my heart where I'm not pleasing you, where I'm not serving you, where I'm not walking with you, where I'm playing games, oh God. Holy Spirit, rent open, work in me. Oh God, let it come. Let it begin in me. Let it start in me. I've moved away from you, God. I've moved away from you. I'm far. I need you. I need you. I need you. Come, Jesus. Come on, every hand up. Come on, Nairobi Lighthouse Church. Our greatest need is right here. Our greatest need is right here. We're so distracted and we get so caught up with the things that around us we need you Jesus we need you Jesus now just invite the Holy Spirit come on Holy Spirit open me up when Jesus was baptized the Bible says the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus in the form of a dove. Come on, tear open the heavens, oh God. Open me up, oh God. And let the Holy Spirit work deeply in me. I need, I need you. All corruption out of me. Everything that's not pleasing, oh God, take it out of me. I want you to discover, Holy Spirit, in my mind, in my mouth, in my ears, my every God, in my heart. I just want you to discover. I want you, God, to reveal and, and then remove. Take it out of me, Jesus. Take it out of me, Lord. Remove the hatred I have. Remove the strife that I have. Remove the bitterness, God. Remove the corruption, God. Take it out of me, God. I want to be a vessel. I want to be like the king. Then the king turned to Hilkiah and to Shaphan, and the king said to these men, Go and find out 
the word of the Lord for me. Go and find out what these words mean for me and for the people. Do it, Holy Spirit, we pray. Give us such a heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we rejoice in his presence and give him thanks today? Come on, let's celebrate that work of it in us. Come on, I want us to celebrate. Let it begin today. Let it continue today, oh God. I need you, Holy Spirit. Everybody have an amazing day. Have an amazing week. Come on, let's go and continue to allow the Holy Spirit to make some discoveries. Allow the Holy Spirit to reveal. Allow the Holy Spirit to continue to work in you this week.